Yes, we are glad that you're with us. Um, I want to begin this morning a, a series of thoughts um, to share with you, to share with you all. Um, and I guess, uh, broadly speaking, um, the theme is um, a little bit of where, we're, where we've been, we, speaking of us as a church family, um, and then maybe a whole lot of where we're going. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the broad theme. I've, I've titled this study series, uh, Necessary Endings, and I hope to explain uh, the origin of that and uh, hopefully a little bit about what's meant by it. But let's start in a different place. Let's start with uh, Jesus. Luke chapter 11 uh, records that Jesus uh, said this. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he, that's Jesus, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Yikes, that's a tough beginning. It asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So let's talk a little bit this morning to start. Uh, let's talk about the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. What, what might that mean, right? So first, a sign. What do we mean by a sign? Um, have you ever found yourself asking God for a sign? It's like, you know, I'm having difficulty with this decision. Am I going the right direction? God, I just need a sign, you know? Um, some kind of inclination that God is there, that God is with me or for me, something, like some kind of indication. I mean, we, we know basically, we know what we mean when we speak of a sign. There was even a comedian that I vaguely remember some time back. He had an entire comic bit he used to do about, there's your sign. Anybody remember that comedian? I'm probably the only one. Okay, all right, couple. Maybe some folks in digital land. There's your sign. I don't even remember how he made it funny. I just know that it was funny when he repeated that throughout his entire comic bit. Um, but then in the arena of religion, the idea of a sign gets turned up a notch or two, right? Um, the idea of a sign, in many cases, becomes an indicator of true religion, of the true faith. We, we, we know that we are of the true faith because we have this sign, right? And that seems to be kind of the zone where this quote from Jesus is speaking from. I remember not too long ago in Central America, uh, our group, we saw a, a long column of people climbing a mountain face and then walking across this basically level area about halfway up this mountain face. Um, a few feet walking across in front of a, a flat-faced rock there in the formation. Uh, and then this column of people descending down the other side. I mean, long column of people walking up, walking across, and coming down on the other side. And I asked our host, as we were looking at this scene, um, I asked him, what, what was this all about? And he said that people, he said, those people think that the face of Jesus appeared in that rock up there. Um, and so they were climbing up to touch it so they could receive a blessing from God. It was a sign for them. 
a sign that God was with them, a sign that God was for them, maybe even for some of them, a sign that they were participating in the true faith, you know? For some people, a sign might be some kind of miracle or perhaps a vision. Um, For other Christians, um, and I think you'll know what I mean when I say this, for, for other Christians, it can almost be this sense that Having the correct doctrine is our sign. The the sign for us is that we are convinced that we believe the correct doctrine. Or for others, the sign of true religion might be a certain use of Scripture or a certain use of certain Scriptures. But here, Jesus says he's going to give a sign that's completely different from all those signs. I just went through a whole whole litany of the kinds of signs that we think about, talk about, maybe even seek after, pride ourselves in. Jesus says he's going to give a sign, and it's completely different than all of those. Jesus, he says, he gives the sign of Jonah. Now, I just want to say this. From my perspective, it almost seems like we haven't yet heard Jesus on this one. (laughs) With all of our appetite for signs of all kinds of varieties, and yet Jesus says this, the sign I'm going to give It's not any of those. It's the sign of Jonah. So what might that mean, the sign of Jonah? Well, to start, let's let's stick with the story of Jonah. Now, we're not going to read the detail, um, but you recall the the story of Jonah. That is, I'll say this, once you hear the story of Jonah, you can't unhear the story of Jonah, that's for sure. Um, But the setup, a lot of people remember the big fish, and Jonah spending time in the belly of a big fish, but... The setup for the story of Jonah, God gives Jonah a mission. He says, I want you to go to this certain place, and I'm going to tell you what to say. And immediately, Jonah gets on a ship headed in exactly the opposite direction. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Um, And then the story begins to play out. In summary, Jonah's shipmates throw him overboard, (laughs) toss him into the sea. He is swallowed by that big fish, spends three days in fish guts, literally, and then gets spit up onto the correct beach and goes on to fulfill his God-given mission. It's a great story. And once you hear it, you can't unhear it. But the question is, how is it that Jonah's story has now become for Jesus the sign of Jonah? Well, let me make this proposal for a start. To a large extent, don't you know, that Jonah's story fits the pattern for Jesus of exactly what was happening to Jesus. Jesus was right then in real time, as Luke is telling Jesus' story, Jesus was being thrown overboard by his friends. He would soon be plunged into darkness. He'd be swallowed up by death for three days. And then resurrection. And so, yeah, it quickly becomes quite clear that the story of Jonah, in Jesus' eyes, through his interpretive lens, becomes the pattern of Jonah, which then Jesus describes as the sign of Jonah. Now, let's think about these words that we began with. Jesus says, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. Jesus gives 
the sign of Jonah. So the question is, what if by this statement, what if Jesus means more than just his own life? Obviously, the pattern of Jonah fits Jesus' own narrative. But what if, what if in saying this, when he says, the only sign I'm going to give is the sign of Jonah, what if Jesus means more than just his own life? What if he means that he gives the sign of Jonah, like again and again and again to us as well? Let me ask you, have you ever felt like the pattern of Jonah was playing out in your life? Maybe thrown overboard by your shipmates, thrown overboard by your friends, heaved into helplessness, surrounded by fish guts. <laughs> there you are. You ever felt that? I mean, I know this isn't what we want to hear, but Jesus says he gives the sign of Jonah. And please note, and I believe this is intentional, note that Luke mentions this to us, and he tells us that Jesus said this as the crowds were increasing. <laughs> as the crowds are increasing, Jesus decides to say, look, everybody wants a sign. I got one sign I'm going to give. It's the sign of Jonah. It's almost as if Jesus was intentionally steering away from some kind of feel-good, crowd-pleasing message and movement. And there are other instances like that in Jesus' ministry as well. So if we read it this way, then actually this statement is similar to what we find elsewhere in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus says things like, take up your cross and follow me. What is that? Well, people die on crosses. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears fruit, Jesus said another time. Whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All of these statements can be seen along a similar pattern. And for sure, this is how the Apostle Paul understood the message and meaning of Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes about dying all the time. He says, I die daily. We're buried with Christ in baptism. On and on and on, this theme is throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul. And so really, this is nothing new when we understand it in that broader context. Jesus talks like this quite often, and the Apostle Paul writes like this quite often, and he is the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Again, I think we're just slow to hear Jesus on this theme. What about the rest of the sign, though? We've only gotten halfway through the sign. As you know, the story of Jonah does not end in the belly of the big fish. The story goes on from there, right? Eventually, as we said, Jonah gets spit out on the correct beach where he needs to be, and he continues on with his God-given mission. Everybody remembers the, the end of the story of Jonah, right? The second half. So when Jesus takes the story of Jonah and turns it into the sign of Jonah, we can be sure that Jesus also intends for us to understand the entire story of Jonah now being, being incorporated into what he's now creating, this brand new sign of Jonah, the pattern. The story of Jonah becomes a pattern of Jonah. Now, we already have language for this, the second half of the sign, that is. Language is already in place for us to speak of it. Our word is resurrection, right? Certainly, in Jesus' case, the second half of 
the sign of Jonah in his own life can be seen in Easter. That's resurrection. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. In agricultural terms, the second half of the pattern comes after the seed dies and the new plant shoots up from the ground. In terms of human physiology, um, the cells of our bodies are constantly dying and being replaced with new life, brand new, brand new cells. In fact, we could, go, we could go through this in example after example, and we could see that, in fact, the sign of Jonah encapsulates all of life. It's all around us, death and then resurrection, down and then up again. It's all around us. I know we like to think that the pattern of life is simply up and to the right, up, 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 nothing but up, like an arrow shot skyward that doesn't have any inertia, just keeps going up and skyward. But no, this is not, in fact, the pattern of life. The pattern of life is not that arrow launched skyward that just continues on in one direction. The pattern of life instead is more like a V or more like a U, down and then up again, death and then resurrection. The pattern is all around us all the time. We should not be surprised that we hear it so often from Jesus. In fact, what should surprise us is how fiercely we resist it. So let's talk now about the sign of Jonah and us. Well, it's not a stretch to say that our church is experiencing a sort of collective sign of Jonah. <laughs> our friends threw us overboard. We were heaved into a period of darkness and uncertainty. We find ourselves to a large extent helpless to do anything about what has and is happening. And then fish guts, just dark, just yuck, just a kind of death, we might say. But that is not the end of the sign. That's not the end of the pattern. That's only the first half of the pattern. And I'm here to tell you today that the second half of the pattern is approaching. I can feel it. I can begin to see it. I don't know what the new beach will look like exactly, but I can feel the big fish getting ready to spit us out on the new beach. So what I would like to begin today really is a, um, a conversation, a meditation, maybe um, a series of thought experiments about what that new beach might look like and about what it might look like for us together to continue to pursue our God-given mission. And that brings me to the topic of necessary endings. I draw that title from the title of a book written by Dr. Henry Cloud. Some of you may be familiar with Dr. Cloud, his work. He's most well-known for his work on boundaries, um, perhaps others. But a few years ago, he wrote a great book called Necessary Endings. And essentially in that book, Henry Cloud is saying the same thing that we've been talking about this morning, except using language from his field, which is the field of psychology. 
He says basically, as a, as a starting point, he says that we tend to have a counterproductive relationship with endings. Our common impulse is to resist endings. We tend to think that if something ends, there must be something wrong. Something wrong with me, something wrong with that relationship, something wrong with that business, or something, whatever, wherever, whatever context the ending. So we tend to feel like um, an ending represents some kind of failure. Something must be wrong, wrong with me. I must have failed in some way, et cetera, et cetera. And so with all that said, endings tend to, unfortunately, evoke within us feelings of shame, avoidance, resistance, self-doubt, second-guessing, and so on. But in reality, as we've just talked through the ministry of Jesus and the Apostle Paul as well, in reality, endings are a necessary and essential part of life. Endings are essential to growth, in fact. Dr. Cloud's sort of guiding metaphor in the book, and we'll talk about this a lot in the coming weeks, um, is that of a gardener pruning a rosebush, if you could think of that image in your mind. So imagine a skilled gardener with her pruning shears, and she is pruning certain blooms and even certain branches off of that rosebush, blooms that weren't quite healthy, branches that aren't quite healthy, or maybe because those blooms and branches might have been healthy, but they were just not the kinds of blooms and branches that the gardener wanted to see, and so they got pruned away. Which is to say, an ending, or even lots of endings, doesn't mean that everything is over. To the contrary, our imaginary gardener, she prunes certain blooms and branches, not in order to kill the rose bush, but precisely so that the rose bush can survive and even thrive. It's quite the opposite of what we might expect. And so my proposal for a start is for us to think about this U-shaped pattern that we're in as a series of necessary endings. There are some things about where we've been and what we've been that must end in order for us to move forward. And there are some things, new things, new growth, new expressions um, that need for those other things to end so that the way is made for this new growth to occur. Um, and so this is a helpful framework for me. It has been a helpful framework for me over the last really several months that I've been meditating on this, and I'm very glad to begin the conversation with you today. To think about what are some of the things, and I'll just say it this way, what are some of the aspects of what we've been that I'm actually uh, eager to see them end and never return? What are some of those things? And then correspondingly, what are some of, the, some of the new growth elements that I'm eager to, to see bloom and flourish among us. And I would 
propose that question to you as well. What are some things about the past us that you're eager to see come to an end, a death, be pruned away? And what are some fresh new expressions of ministry um, that would be inspiring for you? So this is where I would love to see this become a conversation, and I mean that. I mean, in fact, we, we began this conversation a couple weeks ago uh, right here with, with a few of us. And um, I, would love to, I would love to hear from you along these lines. Reach out to me, email, call, text, whatever. Um, and so just to kind of prime the pump, I'd like to give you uh, two of mine, if I may. Um, here's, here's for me a very necessary ending. One thing that's got to end in order for us to move forward is what I'm going to call pseudo-inclusiveness, phony inclusiveness. What I mean by that is where the inclusiveness of Christ is touted in speech but rejected in practice. Where folks say, everyone is welcome here. This is a church where everyone is welcome. And yet, but then, when certain people show up among the gathered community, they get the cold shoulder or made to feel less than because of something about their life. That must end. And I want to tell you, um, and, and then, and then the, 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 the replacement bloom on the rose um, is follows straight from that one and that would be genuine to the bone Jesus type inclusiveness you know um, that's what's that's what I'm inspired to see bloom among us um, anyone can say everyone is welcome here but it's a completely different matter to carry ourselves conduct ourselves as a radically inclusive faith community. Um, and I want to say that until, this is, this is, I'm just speaking from my perspective, until you have pushed inclusiveness to the point where some religious people think you've gone too far, then you haven't yet done it the Jesus way. Because remember, this is one of the things that got Jesus killed. It's one of the things that turned the religious community against him, was his practice of radical inclusiveness. From their perspective, forbidden inclusiveness. Um, this is how we know that the Jesus variety of inclusiveness <laughs> um, looks like a bridge too far for the religious community. And I want to say, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I'm willing to die on this hill. I'm just telling you. We, we already died on this hill. And I don't think there's, any, I don't think there's double jeopardy in the kingdom. Uh, so um, this, this is the first necessary ending. And I just want to say along these lines that an image that is inspiring to me uh, along these lines is the image of an open table. If we could form a community that sees the church as a truly open table, 
where everyone has a seat, everyone has a place, where everyone is equally honored and valued, regardless of where they come from, including those who are seen as forbidden by the religious establishment. That is the Jesus way. In fact, this is one of the most important places where Jesus expressed his radical hospitality, and that was through his table fellowship. So this is, this is an inspiring image to me, church as an open table. So that's the first ending from my perspective and corresponding new growth that goes along with it. The other that I'll share, again, in the interest of priming the pump, um, the other one that I'll share, I have to admit right off the top, for this one, I don't have such a, such a one-to-one corresponding new growth suggestion. I just have the part that's got to end, <laughs> and I'm trusting the creativity of the Spirit um, to help over time with the corresponding new beginning. But the ending is what I'm going to call the Sunday show. Um, uh, the, only, the only way that I've ever known to do the gathered community has been like this, where one person is talking and everyone else is listening and everyone's in rows and kind of focused on, on one person. Um, and I could just say for me, um, it creates an almost impossible urge to perform. And I can't do that anymore. I won't do it anymore. So I don't know what to replace this with, but it's got to end because I can't bear the weight of being the ecclesiastical performer um, for the faith community. I can't do it. Um, and so the Sunday show has to end. What does it have to, what's it going to be replaced with? I don't know. I really don't know. But like I said, I'm open to the creativity of the Holy Spirit. Um, to help us to see what's next, to see what's new. Um, and I, again, I'll say, since we know that the Spirit dwells in every member of the community, that is to say that his idea might come to you and not me. So please don't hold back. Um, let, me hear, let me hear what the Spirit is saying to you as well going forward. Um, so these are, for me... These are two of the endings that must occur. And I'm not saying necessarily that they are the two most important endings for me, although they might be. Um, I don't know that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, as a way of of priming the pump, getting the conversation started. Um, There are many more endings that have to occur to make way for new beginnings. Amen? Are you encouraged by that? I am. I am. Um, yeah, amen. Thank you back there. Uh, huh? Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's so great. She said she's writing, she's writing her ideas. That's beautiful. So excited. Um, so good. Yeah, that's exactly. That's very encouraging. I'm glad to hear that you're encouraged because I'm encouraged. I was talking with, with Saul, actually, along some of these, uh, some of these themes. And, uh, you know, because we're Easter people, we're not afraid of death. Death doesn't bother us. And that's, that's true 
physiologically, but it's also true in terms of organizations, relationships, church. Um, a death is merely a setup for a new resurrection. And so, um, so I'm feeling it. I'm hopeful. And I'm, I'm glad that you are as well. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank